The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning. Oh, there we go. Uh, today we're reading from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. Uh, just give me one second here. Uh, the first part is titled, The Cost of Following Jesus. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave the orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Uh, The next part is titled, Jesus Calms the Storm. Um, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being swamped by the waves, and he was asleep. And they went and woke him, uh, saying, Save us, Lord, Uh, we are perishing. And And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And then one, a great, sorry, and there was a great calm. And the man marveled, saying, this sort of, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Let me have a seat. Hi, my name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, glad to be able to share the message with you this morning. Uh, What a beautiful song. Uh, This week, as I was preparing, I also came across what for me was a beautiful picture. It's the one that you see on the screen here. It just uh, resonated with me as I thought about the topic of today's message, which is the, the path of following Jesus. And what I'd ask of you now is I'd like to just start us off in prayer, but I'd like you to keep your eyes open and I'd like you to just keep looking at that picture as I pray for us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you that your word says that the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn that shines brighter ever and ever to the full light of day. We thank you that you took us from utter darkness to glorious light. That our first encounter of you was like seeing a sunrise and we see the darkness dissipating from our life day by day as we keep our sights on you and you make yourself more and more known to us by the grace of your Holy Spirit. And what I confess, what we confess, is that it's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to stray from the path that you've laid before us. It's so easy to make up my own path and ask you to bless it. And it's so easy for me, for us to stumble. So Lord, today we thank you that you are a God who brings us back to you that you are a God 
who picks us up when we stumble. Your word says a righteous person may fall seven times. All the time we may fall, but you are the one that picks us up. Father, forgive us when we try to pick ourselves up. Help us to be people more and more who rely fully on your grace and your strength and your wisdom and your mercy that we truly know what it means to die to ourselves so that we have life in you. Thank you for that beautiful truth in our lives and forgive us, forgive me for how quickly I forget. Today, Lord, bring yourself back into focus for us and may that become habitual in our daily living. We ask this for the sake of Christ, amen. So as I mentioned, the uh, focus of today's message is going to be the, the path of following Christ. And, uh, you know, as much as I like this picture, if I could add another one like it, or if I could add to this picture and make a different one with it, there would be people around that cross looking at me that have been encouraging me on, like those people in Hebrews, the heroes of the faith, those who have walked before us and say, come this way, follow us. We will help you know who Christ is. And I think there'd also be hopefully a number of people beside me that we, we say, let's journey together. Let's help each other stay on the path that God has created so that we help each other remember who we live for, who we have life in. And hopefully there's other people that are, are behind maybe a few steps and say, Doug, I'll make my own steps, but I'll go the direction that your life is showing me. That's the type of life I believe God has called me and called us to live. John 17, 21 says this, Lord, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. This reality that God has created us for love with him and love for each other is the core of salvation for the world. God says that we need to know what it is to be one in him and that can only happen in community. There is a beautiful thing in my walk with the Lord that you will never see because it's private between the Lord and I. There is that beautiful aspect of my walk with God. But, by God's grace, the bulk of our faith is meant to be us living in him together. So how do we do that when we're so segmented? I don't know the answer for that except that my intention, your intention has to be that Lord, you've called me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ so that you will be glorified and that the world will know that you saved us and you desire to save them. May we be one in you so that the world may know of you. So in our church, we're growing in our understanding of how to do this. And one of the ways that we're gonna be trying again over the next few months is by inviting you to participate in what we're calling life path journeys. And these are gonna happen usually twice a year. All year long, our focus is knowing Christ together. That doesn't stop. But at least twice a year, we wanna have an intentional focus to say, let's, let's adjust our time, let's adjust our thought life to make this our top priority as a church family. That we are gonna create spaces for us to know God together and become more one together. And so 
These are things that are on our heart for our church to explore and to experience and to adjust as each month and year passes by. And at the core of it has to be our abiding with Christ in his word and saying, Lord, help me to hear you so that I know who you are and who I am in you, who I know, that I know who we are as a church family. We need time with God in his word where we just surrender and say, Lord, I don't need any answers to the, my questions. I just need to meet you. You tell me what you want, and I will obey, and I will follow. And then from that, that forms a lot of our conversations with each other. We talk about the fresh things that we've received from God, not just what I received 20 years ago or what I heard in a message, but this is what I heard from God today. And I share that with someone else because I know I needed it. Maybe you could be blessed in that as well. And we challenge and we encourage and we exhort each other to do the good works that God planned for us before the beginning of time. So if you want, this is, all of you have Bibles at home, I'm sure of that. But this is a, a devotional journal. This is the, the full gospel of Matthew and on one, on one side it's just blank pages and you can write notes, draw pictures, however you want to engage with God. And the idea is that you do that and you get excited that God speaks to you. You get excited that you have something of worth to give to others. And then we help create environments where that can happen. And one of those environments will be over a meal. Because I do think there's something really special for people to get to know each other as they're eating. So starting this Wednesday and for the next 11 weeks, we're going to be offering a family meal here. Your brothers and sisters are going to be spending time in the kitchen making you really good food for a reasonable cost. $7 a person, $25 for a family of five. Food served between 5.30 and 6.30. You come, you sit at a table, we say grace together before you go get your food, and then you talk. There's just the opportunity. You decide what you talk about, but man, do I ever hope that we start talking about the things we really are passionate about and we realize that God needs to get a proper place in our life and our conversations. So come and enjoy a meal together. Come as often as you can. Don't worry about, oh, I can't come all the time. Come when you can and enjoy. We're all wearing name tags. That's going to be helpful. And just come and meet your father around a table of his children. And feel free to invite your friends. This is a place where we want people to experience the love of God among us and to tell them we're just starting to grow in this more. Join us on that journey. 6.45, this is the kind of the new idea. We're going to clean out the whole room right away. Last time we kept the tables here and we had discussion groups where we had little uh, opportunities to discuss the sermon. We did it here. But we, we decided we're going to try something just a little bit different. We're going to clean out the whole auditorium and this space is going to be available for families or whoever who wants to use the gym. You want to play floor hockey, basketball, tag, I don't care. You want to spend time together, do that. And at 7 o'clock, certain ministries start, like English conversation circles, precept studies. Maybe some of you just want to stop for a coffee or you want to play a board game in the, in the foyer. We have space for that. But then, uh, right away at 7 o'clock, we're going to start what we call our discussion groups. And I'll just simply tell you, this is a, a brief definition of what a discussion group is. Our discussion groups meet during our li life path journeys, and they're made up of three to six people, max eight, who come to each meeting prepared to do four things. And the first thing is to share an insight gained from the reading of Matthew. 
that as you spent time with God and as your word, you say, there's at least one thing I'd like to share with someone else. I'd like you to hear and be encouraged by it. And my mom, oh, there it goes. Participate in our sermon discussion questions. Every sermon, there's going to be practical questions that you can dive into and hopefully have really good conversation with. Debrief on your life, your experience of our weekly life path application. There's also always going to be something saying, think about doing this over the coming week to take what you've heard and to apply it to daily living. And finally, and I think this is huge, just develop Christ-focused friendships to say that we're all coming here for the same thing. We desire to have friendships that are deeper than what we've had so far. Or maybe not, don't do it comparatively, we just want more Christ-centered friendships. And we wanna learn to have that together. And each of these, the, the hope is that we have a host for each of these groups who leads by example and helps keep the conversation focused on our experiences with Christ. So the person at the table who's the host is just the welcoming person who says, hey, let's have a guided conversation about Christ. So one thing we decided to do differently, one of the reasons we decided to empty out the auditorium and and change it up a little bit is we're gonna have some tables available in the fireside room and if need be in our common office area. And that's for those of you who say, you know what, I can come quite regularly. You decide what regularly means, but I can come quite regularly. I'd like to meet with the same group of people. So this Wednesday, next Wednesday, you come and you enter one of those rooms. Wherever you see a free spot at a table, you sit down, and that can be your group moving forward that you can get to know those people deeply over eight weeks, ten weeks. And then for those of you who say, you know what, I want to do this, but I, only, I might come once, maybe three times, I don't know. We're going to have drop-in discussion groups at the front, in front of solid grounds, in front of the Welcome Center. Regular hosts, they'll be there, but it'll give you an opportunity to say, I know I can't come all the time, but I do want to come and I do want to meet some people, and I do want to grow in my joy of talking about Christ together. So, and for those of you who can't make it on Wednesdays, this Tuesday and this Thursday, I'd also like to invite you, if you want to come, you say, you know what, my Tuesday night's free or my Thursday is, come, let's meet here at the church, we'll have a discussion group, and we'll decide what next steps are from there as far as do we keep meeting at the church or do we move to someone's home? So that's just a little bit of an overview of of the life path journey this winter. And again, these ideas are going to get refined as we move along. Just know that what we won't give up on is knowing Christ deeper together. That will always be the focus. If things don't work or things do work, that is the aim. You need to know that's the heart of your leadership. And we believe that's the heart of this church. And that's how we're going to see the kingdom of God grow. So let's get into the passage for today. Give a bit of context. Jared read us the passage earlier. So let's remember Matthew 5 to 7 was all about the Sermon on the Mount. And then last week, Pastor Terry shared with us about the healing of the leper, the centurion whose faith was so great that he said, Jesus, you don't even need to come. Just say it will be done and it will be done. And Jesus says, I've never seen such faith, not even in all of Israel. He says that to a Gentile. I've never seen such faith. He was amazed. And then he goes to Peter's home and he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever and she begins to serve them. And then it says many people came to him and he healed the demon-possessed and he healed the sick. The, The power of the message of God was starting to be revealed in the miracles of God. 
And he's saying, I, I'm giving you a glimpse into who I am. I'm not just any ordinary man. I'm not just some great teacher. I'm much more than that. And that's where we get into today. And so we hear in Matthew 8, verse 19, and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. One thing I want to highlight is, first of all, this is a scribe. As you get through the rest of Matthew, what you come to understand, what you come to see is that scribes are teachers of the law, and teachers of the law were often antagonistic towards Jesus. So at this point in the, in the story, it's important to see, wow, even some of those people who were wired to disagree, to argue with Christ, their hearts were starting to warm, some of them towards Christ, so much that they wanted to be nearer to him. That's what following Christ means. It's not just this intellectual thing. It was saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I'll go wherever you go. But I don't know this guy's motives. This is a dangerous part about scripture, about just reading people. We don't know what his motive was, was coming and saying this, but we know something was off because of what Jesus' response was. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Sum that up saying, count the cost. You don't understand what you're saying yet. You don't know what that means to follow me and what it's going to cost you, and the cost is going to be extreme. And, and let me show you by my own life, because that's the example he gives. That was his experience right then, right there. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's what Jesus was living. It wasn't a theoretical statement of someday. It was, this is what it is now. And he didn't say it then, but it's going to get harder. It's going to become more difficult to live faithfully as a child of God in this world. And you know why I know that is because that's what Christ tells us. John, 17 verse, uh, John 15 verse 20 says, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they, the world, persecute me, they will also persecute you. At this point, Jesus was just saying, my life isn't easy. I'm going from here to there. I'm investing in others so that they may know God. It's, getting, it's going to be to the point that I'm persecuted. I'm going to die for the sins of others so that they might have life. So the key thing I know, again, I don't know if it was presumption or pride. When I put myself into that scripture, that's what I think, okay, that's what I'd be struggling with. The presumption of, yeah, I know what God wants. I think I'll, I can follow him. I know that. Or the pride of, yeah, Lord, yeah, I, I'd be glad. Wouldn't you be glad to have me on your team? You know? Heaven forbid that's the regular thought life, but don't those things maybe come into our mind from time to time? So what we need to remember here is that we are following someone who identified himself as the Son of Man. Now, this title for us doesn't mean much right now. It's the first time that it's used in Matthew. We do find out that it's used almost 30 times in this gospel. It's used over 80 times in all four gospels. And the only one who ever says it or uses it is Jesus Christ of himself. Well, there's two people who say it, but they do it by quoting Jesus, saying he said he's the son of God, son of man. See, we'd be more comfortable saying son of God. 
but he used, his favorite title was Son of Man. So we have to ask ourselves why. Why would he choose that name to reveal himself? Well, there's two main uses of it in the Old Testament. The first one is in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, God is talking with this prophet, and over 90 times he says to him, Son of Man, and then he makes statements. Son of Man, statements. And every time he uses it, it's to highlight the frailty of a human being. You are just a human, and I am God. Son of man. That's the, that's the theme of Ezekiel. But then there's also Daniel. And Daniel 7 has this messianic use of the title Son of Man. Math, Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This use of Son of Man is this is a heavenly ruler who reigns supreme. So, what a beautiful thing! A name that can mean frail humanity and a name that can mean divine ruler of all things. And I think in part, Jesus used this because he liked the mystery of it. It was clear and unclear. What, what does this mean? How does this apply to you? And only as we go further along in Matthew, and you, you notice this name being used, son of man, son of man, son of man, as you get closer to the end of the Matthew narrative, you start understanding that more and more, Jesus is saying, I'm that man in Daniel. I have a kingdom that will never end, that cannot be destroyed, that can't be stopped, that gates of hell cannot prevail against me. What a beautiful title. So the question I want to ask you in this is, in what ways has presumption or pride impacted your walk with Christ? We need to humble ourselves to say, Lord, the only way I know who you are is if I listen to your voice and I allow you to tell me. You say you're the son of man, I want to know what that means. You say you're my shepherd, I want to know what that means. But my pride, my presumptions get in the way. It's hard to honestly say that I'm following Christ if I'm not listening to him attentively. Please hear that. It's hard to say that I'm following Christ if I'm not listening to him attentively. So in my day and in your days, how are we doing that? We have much to ask forgiveness for in our daily living because I am not listening as well as I could or as intently as I could and God is so gracious to forgive me. And when I hear his voice, I know that I'm guilty, I know I'm forgiven, and then I have his grace and I say, Lord, I just wanna hear you more because all the other voices in the world, ugh. But your voice, that's the way to life. We need to help each other listen to the voice of God. Let's move on to another path that's not so helpful, the path of procrastination or lesser priorities. 
We read these words in Matthew 8, 21 to 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this phrase, it sounds good. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That sounds honoring, doesn't it? What's wrong with wanting to do that? I wouldn't know that there's anything wrong with that statement except for Jesus' response, which seems kind of harsh at first glance, is where he just says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, Lord, that sounds a little harsh. So I know something isn't quite right in this picture, so I need to understand what's wrong here. And again, I have to make some intelligent guesses. That's what they are. So I'm thinking, okay, this has something to do with maybe uh, procrastination, lesser values, and I'll tell you why I think that. In our day and age, when we have funerals, we think of when someone passes away, usually within a week or two, we, we're, we're through a significant portion of the communal grieving. We've made our plans, we've had our viewing, we've had our funeral, we've had some time with the family, and although there's much grief ahead, the official stuff is done fairly quickly. So we think, well, what would God have problem with that? But in Jewish culture, one of the things to consider is funerals, the official part took over a year. When the burial took place, it was a year later that they'd go and take the remains and place them somewhere different. So this was a, potentially a really long process. The other thing is, we don't even know that the guy's father was dead. He might just be saying that as an excuse. He might be the firstborn, and he just wants to be sure that he's going to get his inheritance. I want to be around before, so that I know things kind of come into right place. He might be worried about financial security. Or we need to remember that Jesus wasn't popular to follow. His family might have been against this decision, and so he was more worried about family approval. Or he might have just had so many doubts about Jesus that he wanted to say to Jesus, yeah, I'm interested, but not yet. Those are all possibilities. Maybe they're possibilities in your own heart too. And at the end of the day, what we hear Jesus saying is, with me, there are no conditions. With me, there are no delays in responding to a call from me. In me, there are no yes, but. I found this picture, which I thought is helpful in understanding what surrender to God is meant to look like and often what it does look like and it shouldn't look like. A surrendered life to God is one like this. Lord, I just, I just need to receive from you. And whatever I receive from you, I also freely give. I give back to you and I give to others and I'm not worried about what's coming because I know that you will more than abundantly fulfill every need and more in my life. But you know what tends to happen when we have problems and even more so I think with blessings? We taste something that's good, that God has given us and it's so good. And then my hands want to do this. Lord, don't take it away. Lord, this is mine. Lord, that problem, you're not dealing with it quick enough. I'm going to put it into my own hands. And God says, Doug, you can't live that posture towards me. You cannot grasp me. You can only receive me. And whenever I feel in my spirit that this is starting to happen, especially when it's something good, 
even something that God puts on my heart to do for him, and it's not turning out as, as I want, and, and I try to make it happen. As soon as I feel that, I'm starting to recognize that I don't know exactly what to do next, except in my spirit I need to calm down and say, Lord, I surrender. The path of following you is surrender. Lord, forgive me when I've taken something that's important, but it's a lesser priority, and I've put it above you. Lord, forgive me when I've taken things that I think need to be done now, in my time, in my way, and I take it out of your timing. Or Lord, forgive me when I procrastinate and I know the good I ought to do, but I don't do it. You're going to find this next question hard, so before I read the question, I'm going to read the verse. This comes from Matthew 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his sake, his life for my sake will find it. Now remember that this is the same God who says, of the Ten Commandments and the first four are all about loving God, the next one is honor your parents. Remember that. God is all about truth and love, but he's paramount, and we fall under that. All love for others is supposed to flow from a love of God, so you need to remember that when you hear these harsh words and a question like I'm going to ask you now. How could your love of family endanger your worthiness of God? When you think about your spouse, when you think about your children, when you think about your grandchildren, how could your love of them endanger your worthiness of God? For others, it's going to be, how could your work do that? How could your hobbies do that? How could your friends do that? And understand that God created all things good to exist for him and in his glory so that they could thrive and have abundant life. But it doesn't happen when those things become more important to us than God. And we say, well, heaven forbid, I never say that, but think about how you think, think about how you pray, think about how you use your time. And say, Lord, forgive me that sometimes I do have lesser priorities that take place, or I procrastinate when it comes to, to you, but I don't, work pushes me along. Fun pushes me along. But you, I seem to say, I, you can hold off. Okay, let's move on to the path of presence and power. And this is the story of the storm. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. So let me give you a little bit of a context of this picture. The Sea of Galilee is really a small lake. <laughs> I don't know why they call it a sea. I know there's an official reason, but it's a very small-looking lake. It's maybe 13 miles long, seven miles long, uh, seven miles wide. So that's like 21 kilometers by 11 kilometers. It's 150 feet deep. It's 680 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains. 
So that causes the perfect weather storms to come where all of a sudden a, a storm can just go and they've had waves up to 20 feet high on this little lake. <laughs> That's a little bit of the picture of maybe what they were facing. And they're on this boat and Jesus is asleep because he's tired because he is also fully man. He's tired, he's exhausted. And he can sleep because he knows he has nothing to worry about. But the disciples aren't so sure. And they're scared. And they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. In Mark, it even shows a little bit more of the heart that they're struggling with. And it says this, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? That's often what's at the heart of my struggle with God, maybe at the heart of your struggle with God. Lord, don't you even care about the situation I'm in? Like, I trust you for my salvation. I trust you for this, but don't you care about this? So in the midst of their fear, even though they might not have done this perfectly, they did do the right thing. I'm sure they struggled hard to make the boat work and try to not wake Jesus up. I'm sure they did everything they could. They probably should have just gone to him right away and, and woke him up nicely saying, help us, please. <laughs> but they went and they woke him. At least they knew where to go when they were at their wit's end. They went and they woke up Jesus and they said, Lord, we're perishing. And I don't know how Jesus woke up, but I'm kind of assuming he just kind of, as he's waking up, he just looks at them and says, why? Are you afraid? You have so little faith. You, you've just heard the Sermon on the Mount. You've just seen all these miracles. You, you know that there's the hand of God on me. Do you think I'd perish in this? Do you think I'd let you perish in this? Why are you so afraid, oh you of little faith? Little faith becomes it's not the nicest of terms, maybe, but it's one of those things where it's not saying you have no faith. It's saying that your faith is ineffective right now. It's deficient right now. It's not working properly. But it's still on me. That's good. I think he makes it almost like, I'm not sure, but in Matthew he uses this title, little faith. If you see it in Greek, it's little faith. And I think it's almost like a, a little nickname for them <laughs> to just remind them that this is how you tend to be when your eyes are off me. You have little faith. I, uh, fear and faith, they don't work properly together often, especially when fear is of man and we have lack of faith in God. So I just have this saying for you. This is how it came in my mind this week. Fear is the tension with faith Fear is intention with faith if it's not the foundation of faith. There is a healthy fear, and that's a fear of God. That's the only fear that we should have, is a healthy fear of God. When we don't fear God, God says, fear me. He doesn't say it like that, but he says, fear me. But when we do fear God, and we come to him, he says, fear not. You're safe in me now. You weren't before, but you're safe in me now. But when we don't have that fear as the foundation, which the Bible says is the foundation of wisdom, 
of, of our relationship with God, then fear of man or fear of anything else becomes a tension. And imagine like a continuum where fear is on this end and faith is on this end. And I think, Lord, you know, so often I'm, I fall on this side. Just let me get to the 51% so that I choose. Get, get me to the point that I go on the boat and I ask you for help. But Lord, more and more, I'd love to live on the farther extreme where there is a fear, but it, it really doesn't bother me that much anymore because I've, I've seen what faith in you does. And I've come to know more and more who you are. So I want to encourage you that when you experience fear, take that as an opportunity to develop your faith. Take what Satan would use to destroy you and use it to remind you of a good God who loves you, who's the good shepherd. So I'm sure all of us at times, we have fear and anxiety. Every time something like that comes up, train yourself. Be renewed by the transformation of your mind. That's the core of a growing disciple. So when that happens, instead of going into my old ways and letting it snowball, to like, oh, life is so terrible, just stop it and say, Lord, help me to remember the truth I need to know right now. Help me to take your word that I've heard into my head and you take it into my heart, Lord. I'm going to help, I'm going to participate in that by, by intentionally not entertaining those negative thoughts. And I'm not going to just dis distract myself on Netflix. I'm going to abide with you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to choose by your grace to follow you in the strength of your Holy Spirit because I can't do it on my own. Forgive me, Lord, when I get fearful and I just try to buck it up and do it right. It's not the answer. It might work in this world, but it doesn't help you for eternity. It doesn't help you for intimacy with God. It doesn't help you for abundant life. That's only through the gift of abiding with the Holy Spirit in us. So then, Jesus stands up, he, he says he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Can you imagine their experience with Jesus? They see how weak he is as a human. He needs to sleep, he's exhausted, he's just sleeping in the boat and then he wakes up and his deity is seen more like ever before. They'd never seen anything like this. Even the winds and the waves obey him. If it was just, hey, the storm stopped, the waves would still be going, but everything was calm. Everything was calm. And you know what? Jesus did that so that his disciples could see more clearly who he was as the Son of Man. You're hearing my words. You're seeing some miracles. See that I have the authority over creation as well. Everything was made by me. Everything exists by me. And in time, I don't think they probably would have remembered this while they were on the boat. Their minds were probably too wacky. But in time, they would have remembered these beautiful words in Psalm 89 or Psalm 107. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, your faith, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107 says, they saw the, what the Lord could do, the miracles he did in the deep oceans. He spoke and a storm came up and the winds blew high. 
But then he stilled the storms and he calmed the waves. They were happy that it was quiet and God guided them to the port they wanted. As we close, I just want to ask you the same question that came out of the mouths of Jesus' disciples. What kind of man is this? Each one of us needs to answer that question to the best of our God-given ability, and it should shape every facet of our life from that point on. If you can answer this question and it only impacts you for a few hours on Sundays and a few hours midweek, that is not following Christ. You're following something, but you're not following our Savior. What is your answer to this question? It's the most important thing you will ever do is to dig deeply into that and see how rich that answer is. And it's much richer than you and I can imagine. And it will get that way until the day we see Christ face to face. The Bible says the way that Jesus ascended to the heavens is the way that he's going to come back down. Are we prepared? Are we living with that reality saying, Lord, whether I see you because I die and I see you in heaven or you come back, I am ready and I'm going to worship you for who you are. So how will we respond to the answer that we have for that question as a church? Because we say he is the son of man, fully man, fully God. How will we respond? Trust him and adopt his vision for life as best as we are able with the grace of God. That's what our aim as a church family is. And we need to talk with each other about how we can do that well and better. Praise the Lord that we have a beautiful Savior. And even his names reveal much about his character. Let's worship him together as we close. Lord God, thank you for your grace for us. You look at us, Lord, as we walk on shaky legs like toddlers wobbling around in our faith. I thank you for how you're growing us and how you love us all the way through. Please grow us in our faith that we might have greater and greater faith in you even in the face of fear. And may you also grow us in putting you first and following you with our life. Uh, may you be our highest priority because you have no rival and you have no equal. Uh, thank you, Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.